there are certain things in life that we all know that we should do, but we fail to do them, at least consistently. Like, you know, for example, some of the things we know we should do are write thank you notes. That's a wonderful idea. A bunch of people come to your birthday party, you should write them a bunch of different thank you notes. You should do that. But you know what's easier? Just send in a group text message to everybody who showed up. You know what else we should do? We should take vitamins regularly. But I'll be honest with you, ever since my mom stopped laying them out on the counter for me, I've been hit or miss. You know what else? And this is, we can be honest here. You know what else we know we should do, but many of us fail to do with regularity? Floss. You know that the last time you flossed was just before you went to the dentist, right? A lot of you have the same little box of string sitting in your bathroom that you've had since 2014. There are a lot of things we know that we should do, but that we fail to do with consistency or regularity. Today we're starting a new teaching series, a short one, called Three Things to Do Before You're Done. And what we're doing in this series is we're making kind of a, a spiritual bucket list of sorts, a, a short list, but a list nonetheless, based on scripture, things we, we, we see commended to us, told to us, commanded to us by God that really should be embraced by us in the time that we've got here on this earth. And today we're going to start with something that a lot of us, know, uh, something that a lot of us know we should do, but that we fail to do with consistency, and that is pray. For Jesus, prayer was a big thing. Prayer was arguably everything for him. You see him doing it all throughout the Gospels, all throughout his ministry. But for us, it tends to be more of a vitamins and flossing kind of thing. But here's where we're going to begin. One of the things that you should do before you're done is that you should learn to pray regularly, if not fervently. Not just when the Astros are in the playoffs, or when the Powerball hits 1.6 billion. But you should learn to pray, as Paul says, continually. Now, there are a lot of reasons why people struggle to fold prayer into the regular rhythm of their life. One of the reasons that I often hear is simply this. People ask the question, why? They think about praying, and then why gets in the way. Well, if God already knows everything, he's ultimately going to do what he wants, what he thinks is good, why do I need to pray? People wonder why they should pray. Maybe you've wondered that as well. Well, there's two reasons given to followers of Jesus Christ. At least two reasons. Number one is the example of Jesus. Number two is the promise of Jesus. Let's start with that example. Let's look at Jesus' own life. Luke chapter 5. This is a description of Jesus in the middle of his ministry. Luke says this, but now, even more, the report about Jesus went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This was routine for Jesus. As his ministry expanded, as the intensity upon him grew, as more people were pulling at him, wanting miracles from him, as there were more enemies hounding him, Jesus leaned into a life of prayer even more. In the middle of all of that busyness and all of that burden, Jesus, it says, would withdraw to desolate places. He would withdraw and focus his relationship on the Father, and he would pray. We see it as an example for us from Jesus. But we also get some promises for us in prayer from Jesus. Look now at the Gospel of John. John chapter 16, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name... He will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. 
Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Think about this. Jesus tells us that God the Father loves him so much that if we come to God in Jesus' name, that God the Father will answer us as if we were Jesus. God the Father loves Jesus so much that if we come to him with our prayers, with our thoughts, with our worries, our concerns, bearing the name of Jesus, saying, I believe in him, I trust in him, my hope is in him, that God the Father, out of love for the Son, will listen to us as his own. He will listen to you. Now, those two reasons alone should be more than enough for us to pray. The example of Jesus, if Jesus, as God in flesh, needed to pray, then why don't you? And the promise of Jesus, the Father promises to hear you just as he does Christ. That's incredible. And yet still, if we're being really honest, despite that example and despite that incredible promise, we don't. At least not with much regularity. You know, sure we do when things are really bad, when we're really sick, or, you know, the Astros are losing, you know, game two or three or whatever it is. We pray, but, but not with any, any consistency or, or with any fervency. Not at all. Why is it? And here's why. Here's why I think we struggle to make prayer a regular part of our routine and our rhythm as followers of Jesus. And this is just the truth. You're, you're not going to like it. It's going to sound really tough, but it's the truth. The reason we struggle to pray, despite that example, despite that promise, the reason we struggle is because we don't believe. Specifically, we don't believe that we are as dependent as we actually are upon God. And we struggle to believe that God will be truly good to us when we call. That's why Jesus said this. Look at this. Now we're in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, who is not evil, who is not messed up like you, give good things to those who ask him? Jesus makes a really simple argument. He says, look, Despite all your faults, despite all your flaws, despite being a broken, evil human being, you know, you know that if your kid comes to you and says, Dad, I need a snack and they're actually hungry, you know that you need to give them a, a cheese stick and a kind bar. How much more so does God, who is perfect, who doesn't have all the problems that you have, know to give you what you need when you call upon him? And yet we fail to. Why? Because we struggle to believe that we need him that much. And we wrestle with whether or not he'll actually be good to us. Sure, we might believe that God will give us what we need, but what we really want is what we want. And we want what we want from God more than we want what we actually need. And so we doubt his goodness. Let's talk about dependence for just a bit. Let's remind ourselves of how utterly dependent we are upon God for everything. If I were to ask the room, uh, by show of hands, how many of you love your parents? And you don't actually have to raise your hands. In theory, if I ask you, by show of hands, do you love your parents? Hands would shoot up all around the room. 
Now, if I asked you how many of you talk to your parents every day, but not only talk to your parents, you ask for their input on the decisions that you're making each and every day. I imagine less hands would go up. Some of you might even say, Pastor Matt, are you crazy? I do not invite their input each and every day. I have a special ringtone for when my mom calls. It's Darth Vader's March from Star Wars. So I know to be in a meeting. <laughs> yeah, I love my parents, but I don't talk to them, lean upon them, and invite their influence into my everyday life every single day. Are you crazy? And the reason we don't do that is because if our parents are still with us, if we're grown adults, we fancy ourselves as grown adult children. We are grown adults before we are children of our parents. And because we're grown adults, we are independent, not dependent. And you see, conversation is the currency of a dependent relationship. When you depend upon someone for day-to-day -day things, when you depend upon someone for life itself, you tend to talk to that someone a lot more. You tend to talk to them a lot more, invite their input a lot more, lean upon them, ask for their wisdom a whole lot more. But many of us, we look at God the Father and we say, yes, I'm his child, but I'm an adult grown child of God. And I am more independent than dependent. And we treat God the Father the way, same way we might treat our mother or father here on earth. We say, I love you a lot, but I need you a little. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you and I'll ask your input, but, but I'll primarily reach out on birthdays, holidays, when good things happen, when bad things happen. Other than that, I know how to meet my own needs, and anything I don't know, I find it on YouTube University. Thank you so very much. But you are not the independent adult child of God the Father. You are an utterly dependent child of God. You are dependent upon him for the sun in the sky, for the breath in your lungs, for the shoes on your feet, for the clothes on your back, for the sun to rise, for the sun to set. When you get up in the morning, it's because of God. When you go to bed at night, you actually fall asleep, it's because of God. Every need that you have is him. It's all flowing from him. You are utterly and completely dependent upon him for absolutely everything. You are a dependent child of God. Without him, you're lost. And in order for prayer to become a part of your regular rhythm of life, you have to reorient yourself around that truth that you are an utterly dependent child of God. And then once you understand yourself as an under, utterly dependent small child of the Father, then that reframes your understanding of the goodness of God. If you have children, you know that you love to answer their requests. That you ask them to tell you what's going on, what's happening in their heart, what's happening in their mind. And you, you love to respond and answer. Now, ultimately, as a good parent, you're going to answer their questions and respond to their needs according to a bigger plan and larger values that they might not even be able to grasp or understand. That, that very often, your children do not understand your logic or your ways, even when they're 18, 19, or 20. It's hard for them to grasp why you say the things you say or they do the things that you do. That very often as a parent, you have to look at your children, especially the smaller and more dependent they are, you have to look at them and say, you're just going to have to trust me and go along for the ride. I am good. I am good. And I love you. And friends, that's our relationship with the Father. He is good to us. Now, very often his ways and his logic might not make sense to us. 
but he will be good to us because we are small children. He is our very big and very good father. Now, does that mean that we, we shouldn't ask him for things? Because ultimately, he's our father. He's going to do whatever he wants anyway. No, of course we should ask the father for things. Of course we should pour out our, our wishes and our wants and our desires. That the same way if you have children, even if you know what's on their mind and you know what the right answer is, you know what you're going to do, you still want them to ask things because it's good for them to ask. It's good for them to express their dependence upon you in conversation. It's good for them to demonstrate their dependence and their trust in you through asking and conversation. And besides, you want them to ask because you might also just say yes. Sure, you have your ultimate aim and your ultimate plan as a parent, but along the way, there are things you may be able to say yes to if only they would what? Ask. As a parent, your ultimate aim on a Thursday night might be to get that child in bed by 8 p.m. And so help you God, that child is going to be asleep by 8 p.m. And anything they ask that's going to get in the way of them being asleep by 8, you will say no to. But there might be a whole lot of other things you can say yes to along the way, but your will will still be done. And the same is true with your Father in heaven. His ultimate will will ultimately be done. But we ask him for things. We call out to him because he might just say yes along the way to what is ultimately his purpose and his plans and his will for our lives. Do you believe that you are an utterly dependent child? Do you believe that God is good and that despite the fact that he holds the plans and he gets to know all the things, do you believe that he will be kind and compassionate to you and that he will not only meet your needs, but sometimes he might even give you what you want? Do you believe that he's good? Good. Then call out to him. Call out to him. When you understand that you're dependent, prayer becomes a greater part of the rhythm of your life. And it also helps you understand that God is going to be good to you the same way a parent is good to a child. But it also gets, it also gets more, more easy. It also gets easier for you to pray when you understand that at the heart of prayer is a really simple pattern and that God himself empowers our prayers. You're more likely to pray when you understand that as we look at it in the scriptures, it is easier than you think, and it is empowered by God himself. Look at me at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. It's a simple little phrase, but it's important for us to understand the dynamic between us and God, in particular in prayer. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. This is Paul. He says, For through Christ we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Let me read it again. Through Christ we both have access in one spirit, to the Father. Paul says that you and I have full, unhindered access to the Father through Jesus Christ. And that when we reach out to him in the name of Jesus Christ, that our conversation with him is stirred and empowered by the Spirit itself. That God is the one that we have access to, but it's not because we've earned access to him, it's because we come bearing the name of Jesus. And that when we pray anything, it's because the Spirit has stirred and worked in us to pray those things. This verse also gives us an understanding of what, what the simple format of our prayers can be. We pray to God the Father. That's who we call out to. And we come to him in the name of Jesus. And we are empowered to do so by the Holy Spirit. Now, now, you might wonder at times, well, 
I've done some terrible things this week. I have not been the person I'm supposed to be. If I call out to God the Father, is he still going to hear me? Or it's been a long time since I've prayed. It's been uh, four months, 40 months. But it's been 400 months since I've talked to God. Do I need to like reintroduce myself and like start at the beginning of this whole Christian relationship and then eventually maybe I'll get a hearing with him? No, that's not how it works at all. Whether it's been a long time or you've done a lot of terrible things or you feel like you don't know what to say, here's how prayer works. You have full access to the Father. You call out to him. You come to him bearing the name of Jesus because you lean on Jesus. You're baptized into Jesus. You are a person, a child, a follower of Jesus. You come in the name of Jesus and you trust that the Holy Spirit is the one stirring in you the things that you say, even if they don't make much sense to you, even if they're not all that polished or poetic or you don't think they're all that substantive. Whatever you say is uttered forth by the Holy Spirit and it enables your prayers to go to the throne of God who hears them. Jesus Christ himself has conquered anything that might complicate your communication with the Father. Jesus Christ has covered over any sin that might stymie your conversation. Jesus Christ has made it possible for you to have full, unfettered access to the Father. So speak to the Father. In the name of the Son. And know that it's powered by the Holy Spirit. And know that you don't, you don't get any extra points for style or substance. You just speak the way a child would to a good parent. Tell him how good he is. Tell him everything that you need, the highs and the lows and everything in between, and know that he hears and he will answer. Now, you might be saying, well, Matt, that, that, that all makes sense, that we should pray because of the example of Jesus and because there's promises attached to it, given to us by Jesus. But we struggle to believe that God will, God will answer our prayers in a way that's good, and we, we struggle to understand that we're dependent. But if we get all those things straight, then, then, then prayer can become a part of the regular rhythm of our life. And it's, it's easier than we think. We just call out to the Father in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit. Like, like I get all that. That makes sense. But still... What should I pray? I don't know what to pray. <laughs> I, I need some steps. I need some things. I need some help, okay? I, I understand. Let, let me share with you a couple of things that have helped to enrich my own personal life of prayer and things that I return to and lean on to help make prayer uh, a greater habit for me. Let me give you these things. It's actually just, just four things. Uh, the four things are this. Add it, write it, speak it, and feed it. Here's what I mean. If you want prayer to be a greater part of the rhythm of your life, add it to the rhythm of your life. The things you're already doing. Don't try and necessarily adjust the rhythm and the habits of your life. Add it to the ones that already exist. What are the things you know you're already going to do tomorrow? You're going to get up out of bed. Great time to pray. You're going to go to bed at some point. Great time to pray. You're going to have a drive to work that maddens you. Great time to pray. You're going to have meal time. Great time to pray. You're going to sit down with the wife at the end of the day and debrief all the things that you've gone through. Great time to pray. What are the things you know you're going to do? Add it in there in simple ways. Uh, second, you, you should write some of the things that you want to pray about, even if it's just a list of the things that are burdening you. Uh, for years, for years, I, I kept a, a journal of my prayers. I would write them out. Every time I prayed, I'd write it out word for word. I, I don't do that anymore, but I still make a list. Every morning I make a list of the things that I'm praying for, the people that I'm praying for, the hurts, the hang-ups in my life and the lives of others. I make a list because I think it's biblical. 
That's what the Psalms are. That's King David writing out prayers and songs. It also helps me focus my prayers. Also, I think you should talk to yourself. Actually, you're not talking to yourself. You're talking to God. You should speak it out loud. Did you know that in the scriptures, we don't really see anybody praying silently in their own hearts and minds? The model for prayer that's given to us in the Bible is people speaking prayers out loud to God. You want to know why they actually speak words out loud? This will blow your mind. Because God is real, and he's a person, and when you communicate with real people, what do you do? You talk. That's exactly right. I think it's a good practice for you to speak your prayers out loud. Might you look like a crazy person to somebody? Absolutely. But just tell them, I'm talking to God. They'll think you're even more crazy. <laughs> you should speak your prayers. It helps focus your prayers, and it helps you remember that you're engaging with a real entity. And then fourth, you should feed your prayers. What I mean is you should find resources that help add substance and depth to your prayers or help you unlock certain things to pray about that you never would have thought about on your own. Something I do every morning is I, I use an app that allows me to read four chapters of the Bible every day while I'm also listening to it. So I read it and I listen to it. And I'll tell you what, I then go from that into a time of prayer and the things that I'm reading shape my prayers. You could also just use the resource that Jesus gave to us. Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer. It's not just a prayer for us to pray, but it's also something to help us deepen our prayers. You can go through that prayer and you can pause at each of the petitions and you can, you can think of all the things it brings to mind and you can pray for those things. When he says, give us this day our daily bread, pause. What is daily bread for me right now? Daily bread is the strength to not, to not chew out my boss. Daily bread is some ideas for dinner tonight because I know the kids and the husband's going to ask me the second I walk in the door. Daily bread is the 80 bucks that I don't have to fill up my tank. It's a resource to help add substance and depth to your prayers. Add it to the rhythm of everyday life. Write it down. Speak it out loud. Feed it. That's part of how we do this. I want to close by giving you an illustration. It comes to us from the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. In Revelation, John, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John, is given this vision of eternity. He's given a vision of, of the heavenly realm. And one of the things he's given an image of is what happens when, when followers of Jesus on earth, when, when we pray, what happens in heaven. Maybe you've never read this before or heard this before. Let, let me share it with you. This is, this is incredible. John says this, When the Lamb, that's Jesus, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Throughout Revelation, John describes the, the volume of heaven. And what he tells us is that eternity, that, that the heavenly realm, where, where, where the fullness of God resides, 
is a very loud place. It, it is filled with, with the rumblings of thunder, representative of God's glory. It is filled with the heavenly army of angels singing God's praise in such a way that you can feel it in your chest and you perhaps even have to cover your ears. It is overwhelming in intensity, the volume of sound in eternity from God's glory and the praise that he deserves. And yet John tells us there is one moment where all of it ceases and it becomes so quiet in heaven that you could hear a pin drop. There comes a moment where the, the angels hush themselves and all of eternity is silent. John even says to us for how long it lasts, for about a half an hour it becomes silent in heaven. When does it become silent in heaven? When you pray. When you lift up your hurts and your hopes to God, when you lift them up to him, everything is hushed in the heavenly realm. And God listens to you. He listens to us. It rises before him like smoke and it fills his presence and he gives full attention to it. And everyone else in heaven knows to step back and be quiet because all of heaven knows how much your prayers mean to him. There are a lot of reasons why people don't pray with, with much regularity. Uh, for some people, they just wonder if it's useless. I mean, God's going to do what he wants to do anyway. It just feels like it's, it's not effective, like airport security. Like, what's the point? Or there are some people who, who refuse to pray because they feel foolish. It's, it's, it's the same reason a lot of guys won't dance at weddings. They tried it once, they felt foolish, never again. <laughs> but maybe if you understood just how much God values your prayers... Maybe you would pray more. Despite it not feeling poetic enough or substantive enough or, or whatever, you would, pray no, you would pray more because you know how much it means to the one who made you. And you would know that, that he promises to hear you, not because you've lived the kind of life that, that's earned a hearing from God, but because your life is covered over in the life of Jesus. And because God the Father loves his son so much, he loves you too. Because you are covered in the work and the love and the forgiveness of the son. Would you pray more if you knew how much it mattered to him? I think you would. You know, I started this sermon talking about learning to pray fervently. Forget that for a moment. What if you just prayed tonight? With your spouse, with your kids, for just, just a minute. What if you prayed about some, some very small things, about homework, about dinner? Or what if you prayed about some really big things? About grandma or grandpa and some of the sickness that they're battling or that couple friend that you know and you're not quite sure if they're going to make it but you really, really hope they do. 
or the financial situation that you find yourself in? What if you prayed about some big things? And what if you prayed knowing, knowing that God promises to answer? What if you prayed knowing that you were utterly dependent upon him? What if you prayed believing that, that God was going to be good to you? What if you prayed knowing, knowing that your prayers rose into heaven and that all of heaven was hushed because you were sitting at your dinner table next to your kid calling out to your father? Try that tonight. And we'll make a habit out of it tomorrow. Amen. Speaking of prayer, I invite you to stand. At the height of Jesus' ministry, his disciples gathered together and they asked Jesus a question. They'd seen him perform miracles, they'd heard his incredible teachings. And they decided this is our chance to ask Jesus for something. What, what should we ask Jesus for? And, and what they asked Jesus was this. They said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus' answer to that question of teach me how to pray was the Lord's Prayer. And so as Jesus' disciples who, who long to be better at the discipline of prayer, we offer the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And as we do so, remember that we not only say these words, but we can we can bring to mind any number of things that these words stir, and we can lift those things up to the Father. So, so who are the enemies that you need to forgive? What is daily bread equal for you today? What is the will of God in your life that you've been fighting against that you need to, you need to, you need to let go of? What is it? Let those things come to mind as we pray these words that Jesus taught us to pray. Say them with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.